0: All right. Good morning. Uh, if you want to go ahead and uh, grab one of the Bibles next to you and turn to page 815, that's 815. If you want to go ahead and turn there, that's where we're going to be uh, today. We're continuing um, to read out of Ephesians chapter 4. And so I want to go ahead and uh, kick off by just uh, reading a section of that. We're going to be in Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. It'll also be up here on the board uh, if you didn't uh, pick up a Bible next to you. So Ephesians 4:11 to 13, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. As Aaron said, we're continuing and actually wrapping up today our series called WIRED. Um, it's going through this passage and talking about those five gifts, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher. Last week, um, I recommend you go look up online at wearerestore.com and listen to Carrie's message. Um, If you are an apostle or a prophet, uh, Carrie had some great insights because she is a prophet, her husband is an apostle. So good message to check out um, and learn more about that. We believe that Jesus has given each one of us a specific core gift, And that when you're born, you have innately inside of you a specific gift, one of these five, that you have the ability to become. We also believe, though, that there are seasons in which God gives you a little taste. He gives you an additional helping of grace in a specific gift beyond your core gift. Uh, An example would be for me, I was actually born an evangelist. And if you know me, uh, when I describe evangelist later, uh, hopefully it will jive and you'll be like, yep, that's definitely Andy, especially the immature parts. Um, But uh, God gave me a season when Janet and I were in Tennessee doing youth ministry, uh, he gave me an additional helping of grace in the um, gifting of shepherding. And I had a season where God slowed me down as an evangelist and helped me sit with people and listen Uh, to the students we had who were hurting and broken, and really just care for them and love them, which was not my natural go-to actions. But God gave me a season of that. He also, uh, that season ended, and now um, God has been giving me a season of grace in the gift of apostle. Uh, My wife and I are moving to Baltimore this year, and we'll be starting a new church there. And so apostles are the ones who go and start new things and get new stuff going. And Uh, It's really interesting learning more about what that means for us. So I I really believe, guys, um, and when I get later into what evangelists really are, this will make sense to you. I I really believe that the fivefold is a blessing. Um, I hope that as you hear this and as you learn your gift and as you realize that's who I am, that it's a weight off of your shoulders, not a burden added. You finally are being told by God, by us, that you do not have to be all of the gifts. You no longer have to do what the world says and accomplish everything and be everything. No, you just have to surround yourself with the right people who have a complement of the gifts and allow them to speak into your life. And so I hope that today as you're listening, it is a pressure uh, relieved from you and that you're encouraged by God and by us to lean into and learn your gift, to begin to mature in it uh, and begin to become the blessing that God wants you to be. So I like the way that they appear, and we're going to have them up here on the board here. Um, Apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. I like the way that Paul mentions them in the passage because um, to me, it kind of forms its own sliding scale of risk, right? The apostles are the ones who love risk. They love to climb mountains and do crazy stuff and not ask a whole lot of questions. On the other end are the teachers who love information and are much more cautious and like to slow down the apostles, right? Right? You can see, I'm sure, how both of those could be troublesome, or annoying, or frustrating by themselves, right? But when they're in concert together, they really give the, There's this give and take, uh, this push and pull of of beauty and harmony that really happens, um, and, it, and it really is beautiful. I also like that, as Paul mentions those, that evangelist is the one in the middle, and that's where we're going to start today by talking about if you are wired as an evangelist. Evangelists find themselves in the middle, uh, it helps me understand better, uh, as a bridge between the apostles and prophets who are pioneers, they're the new, starting, excited, running group, right, and the settlers who are the shepherds and teachers, the ones who are more cautious and who take care of the people who are here and a part of this group. Um, And it's beautiful because I believe the evangelist becomes the bridge between the two. Um, evangelist, if you're thinking right now, maybe I'm an evangelist, or maybe you took the test and you realize that you are an evangelist, it, it's kind of like the word prophet, right? In our modern day uh, vernacular, it's not a word that you're like, want to like put on the front of your house or like on the back of your car and tell everyone I'm an evangelist, right? Um, but I got to tell you, remember, we started off by saying that all of us were born innately with parts of and with a, t- a taste of what this gift really looks like. And so not all evangelists look like Billy Graham. They're not all holding street signs on the corner and they're not all going door to door trying to peddle the gospel, right? Although as an evangelist, I have to admit, I have actually tried every one of those methods. Um, They don't work. Um, But um, evangelists tend to be um, relational creatures. We love, love people. We love to be around people. We hate to be alone. Uh, We love, uh, we're often called... um, People often say that I'm a people person. Um, I have, uh, you know, God has given mature evangelists uh, the ability to um, and a desire to be happy, to be extroverted. Generally, evangelists have large networks. They tend to know everyone, right? Have you ever known that person? You go somewhere and you're like, how do you know people here? Um, There's a good chance they might be an evangelist. They love discussions, especially when they get to share their point of view, right? Because they're super excited about whatever it is that they have to say and what they have to tell you about. Um, This is why evangelists, this is the innate side that God has planted in the evangelist to share the gospel in a way where they're not afraid. Where they're not um, nervous or as nervous about going out and just infusing Jesus' name into every conversation no matter who they're around, right? This is what a mature uh, evangelist looks like. Uh, Mature evangelists uh, tend to spend their time um, with the marginalized, and they really have a heart for people who are non-Christians, and that's where their heart lies, and those are the people they think about, and dream about, and pray about. Um, So you'll often see them at parties, right? Um, And when they walk in, they're the ones who are like the life of the party, and they know everybody, and they're automatically friends with everyone. It doesn't matter. You're like introducing them to someone, and you're like, how are you guys friends already? But that's just the natural way of the evangelist, but generally they're looking in that crowd at the outskirts and trying to find who are the people who are hurting or who are the people who seem to be alone right now. And that's where the evangelist mind goes to. Evangelists are recruiters. They, they love to say, come, come with me, come join me, be a part of this. Whatever it is that we're doing uh, is exciting. We want you to be there. They're also connectors. You go to a party with them and they're like, oh, you got to meet this guy over here. He'd be perfect for you. Or you need to Uh, Hang out with this lady. She's the best at this or whatever. You know, a connector. Um, This is what evangelists, mature ones, are doing. This is why evangelists make great salesmen and great politicians. Now, it doesn't mean that every politician is an evangelist, right? It just means that some of the really good ones have been given the gift um, by God to be evangelists. In Scripture, we see examples of this um, in the book of Acts primarily. Um, with Peter, right, who spent a lot of time with Jesus, and when he preaches at Pentecost, thousands of people come, and they want to hear because he's speaking with great boldness. That's a marker of an evangelist. All of the gifts have the ability and often will preach or teach, but it's the evangelist who is predominantly excited and fearless about telling you about Jesus and the impact that he's having, Um, Also in Acts chapter 8, Philip, it says that crowds were drawn by his boldness to proclaim Christ. Um, And so these are the markers of mature evangelists. But what happens when an evangelist hasn't quite got there yet? When they are immature, when they haven't quite learned all the ropes, and they need some coaching? Well, immature evangelists tend to lose credibility because everything is awesome, right? (laughs) Right? I mean, literally, right? Like, uh, to me, my wife, you know, God bless her, 15 years she's been with me and she uh, has a lot of patience because I come home and I'm, like, excited about our car or, like, just silly stuff that makes no sense that I'd be excited about, but we just get so excited and we want everyone to be on board with everything we're doing. This is why immature evangelists are the wrong person to go to for a recommendation when you're looking for a movie to go see or a restaurant to eat at because, again, everything is awesome. So... Um, Mature evangelists are a little better at it, but um, immature evangelists have very, very wide networks, but they're incredibly shallow relationally. Immature evangelists tend to be so excited about knowing more people and gathering people to be a part of what they're doing that it's really hard to maintain all of those relationships and go deep. So as a result, an immature evangelist knows a lot of people, but none of them very well. Um, Immature, uh, I had... Just a quick story, I I have had to learn from my wife, uh, who is a shepherd teacher, I've had to learn how to have lifelong friendships because uh, for me, the only people who are lifelong friends of mine are lifelong friends because they harass me all the time, right? They're constantly calling me and, you know, and I'm excited to see them and hear from them, but my mind is not generally focused on the past, it's looking forward to the future and new people to meet. Um, And so I've had to learn from a uh, teacher shepherd about what lifelong friendships look like. Immature evangelists often have a negative view of Christians because uh, even as a Christian, a lot of immature evangelists believe that the other Christians don't really care about non-Christians. And so they tend to find themselves uh, in their immaturity uh, kind of walling themselves off from the rest of the body because... They believe that no one else really cares about those who are out there. They only care about everyone in here. Again, the immature evangelist uh, finds itself not really wanting to be a part of church community. They'd rather be at the bar or they'd rather be out on the streets hanging out with people. Immature evangelists, therefore, find it really hard to do spiritual disciplines. Can you guess why, right? We are people, people. For me to go sit in my basement alone for an hour and pray is like has been one of the most difficult things for me to learn. It's been incredibly valuable. But in my immaturity, it's, it's very hard to focus and want to do that. So evangelists need encouragement there. The world does need mature evangelists. We need someone to be the life of the party, right? We need someone to be the recruiter, bringing everyone along, the connector, bringing people together. We need evangelists to be these bridge builders, not just for non-Christians into the body, but to become a bridge between the um, risk-taking apostles and the cautious shepherds and teachers, right? We need that bridge there. So evangelists, like all the other gifts, are very important, um, especially to remind us of the people who are outside of the church. So how can we help them mature? How can you help me mature? Um, The way that you can do that, here are a couple ways. Number one, remind uh, the evangelist of the needs of people in the body. Bring specific needs to the evangelist and say, "Know that you know this person in the church who maybe you brought to the church or is a part of our body? They have a need right now. And one of the keys for the evangelist is to continue putting it in front of them. Contin- bring it back again to us. And do the same thing with community. Since we tend to be out there meeting new people, hanging out with new people, um, we need to be, have community put in front of us. I- I'll just go ahead and say it right now. If you are... Um, If you know me, you need to invite me over and over again to go hang out with you and have lunch and do dinner and things like that. Um, That's what we need, it's to be put in front of us, or else um, that community will disappear for the evangelist. Evangelists, another way that you can um, help them mature is by asking for their advice and help with sharing the gospel. Chances are the evangelists that you know are the best at sharing Jesus with their neighbors. And you love your neighbor. You want your neighbor to know about Jesus, so ask for their help. And also, um, one of the most important things, I'll finish with this, how you can help evangelists, is for you to pray for boldness for them. Over and over again, Paul talks about praying for the boldness of the evangelists. Um, And so, pray for our boldness that we would, in those situations with non-believers, that we would say, do you know about Jesus? Let me tell you some more about what Jesus is doing in my life. Pray for boldness. The world needs and the church needs apostles, prophets, and evangelists, but the world also needs shepherds. So what if you're wired like a shepherd? What does that look like? I like to define the shepherd as the compassionate caretaker, right? This is so incredible. These, these are um, the people who, everybody needs someone like this in their life, right? Uh, everyone needs someone who is behind the scenes in your life encouraging you, not out in front, but standing beside you and really caring for you, loving you as an individual, not just as a group. Um, shepherds are incredible at listening. They're incredible, so good at listening and creating this culture of, um, of, of listening that they actually, uh, you want them to speak the truth and love to you. And they're very good at that. A mature evangelist is good at sitting with you and quietly telling you, Here's where you need to grow. Here's what you need to do. Here's how I can help you. Here's how God can help. They're good at creating safe environments. um, Mature shepherds are patient. They're willing to do the hard, slow work of relationship, right? So this is very different from the evangelist who is out meeting new people. The shepherd is here taking care of the people. And and do you see, I hope, more and more throughout this message, how all five of the voices need to be together in order to have this full complement? Shepherds tend to be peacemakers. They don't like conflict, um, and they are some of the best people to hold you accountable because they actually know about your life. They will remember about your life. They care about your life. They'll sit there with you and listen, um, so they're great people to have um, to keep you accountable. Shepherds make great counselors, as you would guess, right? They make great social workers. They also make great nurses, right? If you are Sitting in a hospital, who better to have beside you than someone who actually cares about you, right? Who wants to care for you and really um, help you get better. Probably the most famous shepherd outside of the Bible that we know about would be Mother Teresa. Um, Just think about how rich and amazing of a woman she was that she would sit with people and hold their hand while they were dying. Nothing to offer her, the poorest of poor, and, they would, and she just sat there with him and listened. That's the perfect picture of what a shepherd does. But what if a shepherd uh, has not quite gotten there yet? What if they are still immature and need some growth and some help? Well, immature shepherds love being with broken people in the midst of their suffering. They love it so much that they sometimes would rather just stay there and sit in the stink of suffering and just be there. Um, And so they need encouragement to get out of that. Rather than moving on um, out of the suffering, immature evangelists fail to move toward healing and renewal. Um, Immature shepherds also love community so much that they get comfortable in their own group. And so they're slow to step out and meet new people at the church or slow to step out and meet new people outside of the church, right? They get comfortable in their own group and they want to stay there. Um, And this is um, another marker of an immature shepherd. Immature shepherds also within their group because um, they love that community so much and they don't want to hurt that community. They oftentimes are unwilling to provide challenge to the rest of the group because they're nervous. They might hurt someone's feeling and lose that community. So community is so important um, to the compassionate caretaker. I love um, what J.R. Woodward, uh, he's a famous author. He, He calls... Shepherds, soul healers. I love that, right? What a great picture um, that God has put these people in our life that they might sit with us and help us heal. It's just such a beautiful picture. The church needs someone to sit with the sick and the lonely, to listen to, and to make sure that no one gets left behind. This is the work of the shepherd, and it really is a beautiful thing. You can see how the church needs all of the voices because the church needs the shepherd to remind the evangelist that there are people inside the church, right? So important. So how do you help a shepherd? You can start by asking them about the people that they care about, and maybe you're one of those people. Asking them about that person and then listen well. Because one of the markers, again, of a shepherd is that they know how to listen. So they can spot a bad listener, okay? So work on it, and be an active listener, participate uh, in the conversation with them and and listen well. Also give them time and space uh, and resources so that they can care for other people. If you know a shepherd in your life, if you're married to a shepherd, give them some space and some time and encourage them to actually do the work they're so good at of caring for people. Um, You can also help shepherds by encouraging them to invest in people, not just to heal them, but to help them become reproducing disciples, right? There needs to be movement, right? And so to encourage the shepherd to continue moving along with the people that they're investing in. And lastly, you can help shepherds by reminding them of the mission and encouraging them to keep moving even if it means leaving some people behind. And that's the toughest thing for a shepherd. So they might need you to sit with them and shepherd them um, as they do that, as you encourage them to move on. The world needs apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds. But what if you're wired as a teacher? Teachers, a good definition would be that they are hungry for truth. They're always on the search for it. Um, They're always looking for ways to explain it, to enlighten you about it, and to apply it in their life. Think about it. Do you know someone who is an information collector, someone who uh, logic, order, and process matter to? We live in D.C., guys. You, you all know someone. You're sitting next to someone, odds are, who is a teacher. Um, this is such a gift to the church. Um, teachers tend to lean into proven methods. They're cautious um, towards the new and innovative. Um, they tend to become the breaks for the rest of the um, voices. They, they would say things like, if it ain't, break, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Um, proven methods work, let's stick with them. Um, This makes teachers great at being a wise counselor for you, right? If you need someone to provide counsel and to instruct you and help you decide what the best decision is, a teacher is the one that you want because they're always going to try their hardest to make the most educated guess, right? Make the most educated decision. They wouldn't even like to call it a guess, they would call it a decision. Um, Teachers ask great questions. They uh, rarely act impulsively, and like I said earlier, they become the breaks, which is a beautiful thing, right? If you have a teacher in your life, and that's the only person speaking into your life, then you're not going to get much done because they're probably going to be telling you, don't do that yet. You need to learn more. We've, there's more to figure out. There's more. But if you have the full complement of the voices, you also have an apostle telling you, let's go start new things, right? And the, the beautiful um, symphony of all the voices coming together, it, it's just a beautiful thing. Um, Inside the church, teachers become the ones who love to study the Bible and know it and every intricacy in it, and therefore they want, and then they want to go on and teach um, everybody about um, the scriptures. Teachers, as you would guess, make great school teachers. They also make great professors, but that's not all that teachers are good at, and they find themselves becoming trainers or becoming coaches. Um, Some of the greatest coaches are teachers because they know all the intricacies of that sport that they're coaching. Um, this is someone uh, who you would want teaching you how uh, to do a certain skill. So I want to look at a biblical example in Acts chapter 18. I'm going to put up here on the, on the board. Um, it's just a few more pages down, maybe like 800 and... Oh, no, sorry. It would be f- pages the other way. I don't know what page it is. Sorry. Uh, so it'll be on the board here. Uh, Acts chapter 18. This is Apollos. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man, so he was known as being intelligent and had a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed, so someone had taught him. That's a mature teacher. He's willing to be taught in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately. As we said before, lots of people will teach um, and preach, but it is the teacher who it is vastly important that they get all of the details correct. Um, So it's very important in the church. Um, So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when other leaders heard him, they invited him into their home because they realized he didn't know everything and they had some stuff to teach him. Again, a mature teacher welcomes people teaching him and allows them to pour into him. It's it's beautiful. Um, And so when he knew more, he goes off to Achaia And then down, um, it says, when he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. This is the type of person you want next to you when you're in a debate um, with a neighbor or a friend about uh, the historicity of the Bible or, you know, does did Noah's Ark really land, you know, here or whatever, right? This is the person who's going to know all the details and you're going to want by your side. But what happens when they're not mature yet? What does an immature teacher look like? Remember that truth is their ultimate goal and sometimes the truth hurts, right? Uh, Immature teachers tend to be very blunt and lack empathy. They have a lot of knowledge, but they're not very good at delivering it. um, And so it often hurts Uh, when they're giving you that information. Immature teachers are risk-averse, being all the way on this side. Instead of just applying the brakes, they become the all-out stop. And they say, we will not go forward. I'm paralyzed and immobilized. Um, I I refuse to move forward. So they become risk-averse. This is not helpful in terms of um, moving along people in their life but it's also not helpful for themselves. They find themselves paralyzed and unable to move forward in anything, whether it be work or relationships or at church teaching. They don't want to move forward because they don't know it all yet. And there's more information to be gathered before I can go and share it or before I can take that next step. The world needs mature teachers, and the church needs them too. We need teachers um, to keep the church moving uh, in potentially... to keep the church from moving too quickly... Uh, in potentially wrong directions to apply the brakes. Sometimes the apostle prophet evangelist gets so excited that we're charging forward and want to meet new people and charge new mountains. And without a teacher saying, guys, let's make the best decision here. Let's think this through. Let's gather some information. How have other people done this? Um, It can be dangerous. And so teacher's voice is so important in the church. The world also needs, um, or the church needs teachers in order to teach the truth to Christians. These are the ones who are willing to sit with you and explain to you uh, the intricacies of Scripture and help you grow and help you become uh, a better disciple. So, how do you help them? How do you help a teacher mature in their gifting? Well, you show them uh, that they are needed for their wisdom. Encourage them to share the truth that they have. And when they're mature enough, uh, believe in them and give them opportunities to teach. But here is a caution. Give them plenty of uh, notice that they're going to teach, right? Because teachers don't like to have things sprung on them. You don't go to a teacher an hour ahead of time and say, hey, you know a lot about this. Why don't you teach on this? Whoa, right? You can help teachers mature by giving them plenty of time to prepare for when they're going to teach and investing in them in that way. And then learn from the teachers. Actually listen to their voice. Engage in the tough questions they're going to ask you. If you're on the other end, of the voices, and you're an apostle, prophet, evangelist, uh, the teacher's voice might feel caustic to you at first, and it might be frustrating because you feel like you want to move forward and they're holding you back. But the truth is, is that they're trying to be one of those voices that God wants to put into your life. So allow them uh, to be there and speak to you and listen intently. And lastly, um, as you encourage teachers um, to teach Christians not just how to teach the truth, Encourage them to teach Christians how to live that truth out and remind them, just like the shepherds, that eventually they need to push their students out of the nest, right? And they need to give them opportunity to move forward, um, trusting that the Holy Spirit will give them um, the uh, knowledge that they need to move forward. Each of the students, uh, each of these gifts offer fantastic benefits to the world, but they also offer certain challenges, right? They also bring with them challenges, and I think that our tendency is to want to be surrounded by people who are only speaking our, uh, our voice. Um, I love what President Obama said in his farewell address. He said um, in a prophetic way, For too many of us, it's become safer to retreat into our own bubbles, whether in our neighborhoods or on college campuses, places of worship, or especially social media feeds surrounded by people who look like us and share the same political outlook and never challenge our assumptions. The rise of naked partisanship and increasing economic and regional stratification, the splintering of our media into a channel for every taste, all this makes this great sorting seem natural and even inevitable. And increasingly, we become so secure in our bubbles that we start accepting only information, whether it's true or not, that fits into our opinions instead of basing our opinions on the evidence that is out there. I love that he said that because he's basically saying, look, we we all have a tendency to not want to listen to the other voices, but the beauty of the fivefold is that when they're all speaking into your life, you have the opportunity to hear what the Holy Spirit is really trying to teach you. I love this church because this is a place where all five of the voices are being invited into the conversation, not just in leadership, but in small meetings and homes and in individual relationships. People are welcoming in all five of the voices to speak in concert. You know, Jesus Christ, he was fully each one of these gifts. He was fully apostle, fully prophet, fully evangelist, fully shepherd, and fully teacher. And the only way that we can really recognize and comprehend and mature in our gift and become, uh, as the army would say, all that you can be, the only way you can do that is by knowing Christ and by having his power in your life and by listening to those other voices and being encouraged to mature in those voices. Listen, this is a place um, where we encourage that. This is a place where you are welcome and invited to mature in who you are. Um, And so I hope that you've taken this test uh, online. And uh, if you need to know what it is, I'll I'll give it to you again. Um, I hope you take the test. I hope you learn what you are. And I hope you really lean into it and decide to mature in it and bring other people along in your life. Because when all of these voices are operating in harmony you get to understand and experience the fullness of Christ and what it was really meant to be uh, as our humanness is maximized and as we live up to our full potential. Let's pray.